Modern. 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 We're prepping for a voyage. Modern. The force of an old-fashioned equals whiskey mass times bitters acceleration. Why don't you make that a double? Modern Bar Cart. What's shaking, cocktail fans? Happy New Year and welcome to episode 216 of the Modern Bar Cart podcast. I'm your host, Eric Koslick. Thanks for joining me for this little opinion piece, which is going to kick us off for the year while I get organized for a bunch of really awesome boozy and non-boozy content this January. Before we jump into the episode proper, I want to give you a quick preview of that because we have some opportunities to beta test some of our new live streaming and video recording capabilities. If you're listening to this episode within 24 hours of it being released, I'm happy to share that we're going to go live with Derek Brown to talk about his new book, Mindful Mixology, which is going to come out later this month. That will happen at 2 p.m. Eastern on Friday, January 7th. So if you're able to join us for that, you should be in for a real treat. I've already created an event for it on the Modern Bar Cart Facebook page, so you can head over there, drop us a subscribe, and also subscribe to reminders for the event itself if you so choose. If you're not much of a Facebook person, you can also watch that stream live on Twitch. We have a channel on that platform as well. Notably, this interview won't go live on Instagram, which is sort of now the domain of vertical and short form video exclusively in order to compete with TikTok. However, we will try to put up some Instagram and Facebook stories with embedded reminders so that you can just smash that button, get a little push notification when our stream is about to start. Hopefully that gives you all the info you need to join us for this upcoming conversation with Derek. If for some reason there's any glitches, uh, the full video will also be available over on our YouTube channel on the day the podcast will air, which is gonna be the following Thursday, January 13th. All this live and video content is thanks to a small group of dedicated listeners who reached out to me directly by emailing podcast at modernbarcart.com after hearing my impassioned request for listener feedback in our 2021 year in review episode. Thanks to them, I created a survey where you can throw in your two cents about our video and live streaming aspirations. And you can access that by visiting modernbarcart.com forward slash podcasts and clicking the big button that says take our 2022 listener survey. It deals with where and when you want to see our live and pre-recorded video content, as well as how you'd like us to notify you about it so that you can be sure to attend and eventually down the road, hopefully maybe even participate once we figure out the best way to take live questions from the chat and or call-ins from you. It would mean a whole bunch to me if you could take five minutes to fill out this survey. We will directly use the results to influence our decisions and improvements. So besides subscribing to us on Facebook, YouTube, and Twitch, or anywhere else you'd like to see content, the best thing you can do is fill out that listener survey and let your voice be heard. And since the only thing better than taking an awesome survey is filling it out with a cocktail in hand, let's take a moment and let you make yourself a drink. This episode's featured cocktail is the Naked and Famous. To make it, you'll need three quarters of an ounce of mezcal, three quarters of an ounce of yellow chartreuse, 
three quarters of an ounce of Aperol, and three quarters of an ounce of fresh lime juice. Combine these ingredients in a cocktail shaker with ice, give them a good healthy shake until all the ingredients are properly chilled and diluted, then strain into a stemmed cocktail glass and enjoy. This is another one of your modern classic cocktails like the penicillin, the revolver, the jungle bird, pretty much anything else invented in the latter half of the 20th century or during the cocktail renaissance. The Naked and Famous was created by New York bartender Joaquin Simon, who basically thought of it as, and these are his words, the bastard love child of a last word and a paper plane. It's got that lovely perfect ratio and acidity from both of those drinks, as well as the last word's herbaceousness and the paper plane's slight bitterness and rosy hue. And if you take a step back just to admire the flavors in this sucker, there's a lot to appreciate. You've got multiple sweet modifiers, but only one citrus juice, which might make you think that the drink would be out of balance, but the malic acid in the lime juice and the mineral and smoke components from the mezcal are both pulling double duty to make sure that all the various flavors and tastes remain in tension without one of them completely taking over. This is my takeaway from the Naked and Famous cocktail, a truly talented mixologist, and yes, I'm using that word intentionally, can achieve balance in a drink by going beyond taste. In simple three ingredient classics, like your old fashioned, your Manhattan, your martini, balance is an agreement generally between sweet, boozy, and slightly bitter tastes. Too sweet? use less of the sweet thing. Too boozy, well, and then you use more of the sweet thing and maybe an extra dash of bitters. This move generally works across base spirits, across sweeteners, and across bitters when you're talking about those simple classics, the old-fashioned Manhattan Martini. But once you escalate to four extremely complex, unique, and assertive ingredients with tons of flavor and texture working above and beyond the sweet, sour, bitter, and boozy realm, the stakes get higher, more can go wrong, i.e. there's more ways to mess up the drink, but with great risk comes the potential reward of realizing something so complex, unexpectedly harmonious and noteworthy that it earns itself a spot on Cocktail Olympus. That's what the smoke, minerality, malic acid, bitterness, and herbal complexity are doing here in the Naked and Famous cocktail, pushing balance beyond mere taste and into the realm of complex flavor. We're gonna to return to this idea of risk and reward later on in the episode, and I thought of no better cocktail to demonstrate how that would look in the glass than the Naked and Famous. So, now that you've got another modern classic cocktail in your quiver, let's jump straight into this little mini essay on why I think the term mixologist gets a whole lot of hate without necessarily deserving it. The idea for this episode came when I happened across an interesting thread on the friendliest and definitely least polemical place on the internet, where everyone treats each other with respect, cites all their sources, and never treats an opinion like a fact. So anyway, I was browsing Reddit and I came across a conversation on the cocktail subreddit where somebody posted a picture of an orange with one thin strip of peel taken out of it where someone had clearly used a channel knife to create a nice slender orange twist. The title of the post was something to the effect of tell me you live with a mixologist without telling me you live with a mixologist. 
The top comment sort of sidestepped the whole point of the post, which was, hey guys, anyone ever encounter this phenomenon that we may have in common? Instead, saying, quote, am I the only one who hates the term mixologist? No offense to OP, which in Reddit terms means original poster. I think this is a cute post. I've just always hated the term and wonder if anyone else who has tended bar for a living agrees, end quote. If you've spent much time around cocktails at all, you've probably heard this conversation. Hell, you've probably even engaged in it yourself. The term mixologist is one that seeped its way back into public hospitality discourse at the same time the cocktail renaissance began around 20 years ago. And since then, people have generally either gotten behind the term wholeheartedly or slammed it for being pretentious. This is not a new debate, but I don't think I've ever really weighed in on it here on the podcast, so I figured this would be a great time to make my stance known. We'll do this by first taking a good hard look at this word, mixologist, both in terms of its historical usage and its various meanings and connotations. Then we'll size it up compared to other words used to describe bartenders. And finally, I'll make a case for why I think it's a pretty good one. Maybe not without fault, but certainly worth keeping around. I feel like one of the consistent moves I make in these audio essays is to quote from Dave Wondrich's book, Imbibe. It's almost comical in its consistency, but hey, blame Mr. Wondrich for writing such a useful and definitive text. As long as it applies, I am going to use it as my North Star. That said, on page 55 of the updated and revised edition, he lays out the first textual usage of the word mixologist. Dave writes, quote, In France, it takes an academy of intellectuals to modify the language. In America, all it takes is a guy with an idea. The term mixologist first appeared in the Knickerbocker magazine in 1856 in a humor piece by Charles G. Leland. In it, the narrator overhears a sport in the hotel room next door referring to the bartender as a, quote, mixologist of tipulars and of typicular fixings, end quote. Leland's coinage caught on, first humorously, and then as a way of referring to a bartender who was, as the Washington Post later phrased it, especially proficient at putting odds and ends of firewater together. By the 1870s, less than 20 years later, saloon keepers were using it in their advertising with only the hint of a smile, end quote. My most important takeaways from this blurb are as follows. First, the word mixologist, like the cocktail, is an American invention. Why is that? Well, it's because in other countries you need an academy of intellectuals to change the language, whereas here in the U.S., all it takes is a guy with an idea. This raises a second and closely related point. Mixologist is what we'd call a neologism, literally a new word. The people of the Gilded Age, both in America and abroad, were as fond of such things in the age of the telegraph as their Elizabethan forebears in the wake of the printing press. And guys, I hate to break it to you, you're listening to a podcast, which itself is a neologism invented not all that long ago. It seems that during periods of technological disruption, these funky hybrid words and phrases come crawling out of the woodwork. The last important takeaway from imbibe is that the word mixologist went from a term used for shock effect in a humor piece 
to widespread acceptance in less than 20 years. And that was in an age before the telephone, which means it could spread only as fast as telegraphs, steam engines, and stagecoaches could transport people of means and their ideas from place to place. There must have been something to it back then, because otherwise it wouldn't have reappeared in our midst as if summoned by the libations we rediscovered after almost a century of obsolescence. So if I had to just end this episode here full stop and make a single elegant case for why the term mixologist is just fine by me, I'd simply say, well, the word cocktail is also a neologism. So how come you'll order a cocktail one minute and then complain about the mixologist who made it for you the next minute? It seems to me to be a logically inconsistent stance to take. But as you know, our fancy drinks don't necessarily inhabit the realm of logic, straight lines, and clean mathematical proofs. They are as mongrel as the word mixologist itself, and to understand why, it might help to pick apart the roots of this word and think about their connotations through history. Let's start at the beginning with the term mix. If you're looking to check my work on this, I use a source called etymologyonline.com, my go-to place for word origins. Here's the first and most relevant portion of their entry for the word mix, which comes into English parlance in the 1530s. It means to, quote, unite or blend promiscuously into one mass, body, or assemblage. From the Middle English mixed, meaning mingled, blended, composed of more than one element, from the Latin mixtus, to mix, mingle, blend, fraternize with, throw into confusion, end quote. Promiscuously, fraternize with, throw into confusion. Not only do we get the cut and dry denotation that entails combining multiple parts into a larger whole, but we also get these slightly tawdry connotations, these ideas and activities that tend to blossom in bars and other such dens of ill repute. When you look at the etymology of the word mix, you get the distinct sense that these parts we're talking about aren't naturally designed to go together. It gives you the feeling that if things are chaotic, confused, and naughty when they're combined, then it's probably better to leave well enough alone and not tempt fate by putting them into a cocktail shaker. Part of the history of the word mix clearly has to do with the simple material process of putting things together, but the rest seems more concerned with the aftermath, the volatile outcomes that occur when the drink hits the glass and the drinker proceeds to empty that glass. Mix, ultimately, is more at home in the cluttered den of the wizard or the alchemist than it is in the sterile lab of the particle physicist. But then, does that mean the second half of the word mixologist is in direct tension with its bedfellow? We all know that the common suffix ologist has a pretty formal and sciency feel to it, so what gives? According, once again, to etymologyonline.com, this suffix is derived from the Greek word logos, meaning word, speech, statement, discourse. It's that last term that's particularly relevant to us because the people who drive the discourse on a certain subject become, formally or informally, the ones who control it and share their knowledge with others. The academy, if you will. Logos also has a strange quasi-mystical variation in tone if you track it through the backwaters of Stoic philosophy and Christian theology. But for our purposes here, Logos is the jurisdiction of scholars and people of wisdom. 
Taken together, the two linguistic components of the word mixologist present us with an interesting tension. Mixing different ingredients, as in a cocktail, seems to trigger certain unexpected, racy, or wayward results. But if such an action must be undertaken, perhaps our only hope for a happy outcome is to turn to someone who has managed to tame the lightning through wisdom, craft, and study. This is the dual nature of the word mixologist. To me, it perfectly refers to the volatility and destructive potential of the ingredients that constitute its domain, yet also the hidden ancient wisdom that the only difference between poison and medicine often resides in the dosage. This episode is brought to you by Near Country Provisions. I've been a customer for about a year now, and I can say without hesitation that the delivery of frozen farm fresh meat that I receive from Adam and his team makes me do a little happy dance every month. Not only does Near Country offer grass-fed beef and pasture-raised pork, but they also have an awesome selection of chicken and seafood. And the best part is it's all local and it's all sustainably farmed and harvested. You can customize every order or simply leave the selection in their capable hands like I do. Near Country even offers fun add-ons like bones for soups and stocks, as well as special holiday offerings like turkeys, brisket, and more. If you live in the Mid-Atlantic, that's D.C., Maryland, or Virginia, and you're sick of the same bland selection at the grocery store, or you're looking to drastically improve the quality of the protein in your diet, Near Country Provisions has you covered. Head over to nearcountry.com and enter the code BARCART, all one word, when you sign up for your subscription to receive two free pounds of bacon or ground beef in your first delivery. That's BARCART, B-A-R-C-A-R-T, all one word, at checkout. This is easily one of the biggest quality of life improvements I've made in the last year or two, so I hope you'll give Near Country Provisions a shot and let me know what you think. Now, back to the show. Now that we've looked into the bones of what mixologist means, let's take a quick spin through the musculature and outer appearance of the debate as it applies to our current moment, focusing in especially on the other words we use or prefer in place of it. Going back to that Reddit comment that triggered this whole thing, you may recall that this person claims to have tended bar for a living, so we've got a bartender who doesn't like the word mixologist. At this point, we need to face up to the strongest case against the word, which is it makes bartending sound way fancier than it is most of the time. And by way of illustration, let's look at the words bartender and barkeep, what I would estimate are the two most used synonyms for mixologist. Immediately, one thing is glaringly, screamingly clear. Bartenders and barkeeps are servants who perform a duty or job that is firmly grounded in a place, that place being the bar. They are servants of the bar. In the same way, a peasant shepherd keeps or tends a flock, a bartender or barkeep maintains a tavern, public house, or drinking establishment, and those who patronize it. This stands in stark contrast to the word mixologist, which focuses on the act of mixing drinks rather than the place where those drinks are mixed, and the wise person, the individual genius, one might say, who does the mixing, the wise sage behind the bar, someone who might deserve a name, like in Jerry Thomas's case, the professor. Such a person doesn't sound like a servant to me. 
Perhaps the trouble here is that the term mixologist is in direct conflict with cleaning puke out of the bathroom sink for the second time in a shift. It's incompatible with customers who don't tip or worse, who dine and dash. It's anathema to programs where most drinks are served from a bottle or a tap. Masters of the mixological arts don't participate in such common drudgery. It is, we might assume, beneath them. On the other hand, there's great value in learning a craft or a trade, and bartending is certainly both of those, and simply performing it willingly with a smile as your profession and nothing more. It can be really nice to just clock in and clock out without having your trade tied to your identity and your value as a person, in essence, just allowing that job to merely be a job. When you look at things this way, the term mixologist does kind of seem a little big for its britches. It gives you the sense that people who use it to describe themselves are probably too busy preening and fussing over obscure recipes and picayune flourishes to do the actual hospitality work of taking care of people. And at the end of the day, whether you walk into the dingiest dive bar or the most elevated cocktail den, you simply want to be taken care of. I think this is the underlying truth that people are trying to articulate when they bash the word mixologist. As I teased at the beginning of the episode, and as the title suggests, I personally am a fan of the term mixologist. I think it should stay for reasons that affect both the private and public good. So let's start with the public case. You just heard me mention the notion that mixology as a high art and hospitality as a humble trade seem to be somewhat in conflict that you shouldn't expect first-rate hospitality from a mixologist and you shouldn't get your hopes up for a well-made cocktail from your barkeep. And yet, when you look at the bars and cocktail programs that are vaunted as the world's best, you so often hear how good the hospitality is in addition to the drink. At Tales of the Cocktail a few years ago, I remember attending a talk where Micah Melton, the beverage director over at the Aviary in Chicago, was talking about this concept of invisible hospitality. Hospitality so good, you hardly even notice it. So clearly, the present discourse has even the fanciest venues, places that could be said to employ mixologists, thinking and talking about hospitality. Here in D.C., there's a lot of talk about transitioning from a tipped model at bars and restaurants to one that incorporates a flat rate gratuity and involves fairer, more consistent wages for front-of-the-house staff. This, of course, provides more stability, but it also eliminates that opportunity for some bartenders at some establishment to make gobs and gobs of cash. There's legislation actively on ballots to enact this sort of thing, and people are still a little fuzzy about if it's ultimately going to be good for the service industry. It just so happens that the programs that are voluntarily exploring this type of non-tipped model, not just here in DC, but all around the country, are primarily places with high-end bar programs, places that care enough about their teams and the quality of the work that they do to protect them with things like solid healthcare, retirement benefits, and paid leave. You know, things most of us kind of just take for granted. So here's the public case for the word mixologist. I think there's a correlation between someone who cares enough about spirits and cocktails to call themselves a mixologist and the genuine impulse to try and move the entire industry forward. 
instead of accepting the system as it stands and trying to find ways to squeeze every bit of juice out of a tipped payment model, they're looking to rebuild the system in a way that works better for everyone, in a way that eliminates that servant status from the bartending trade and infuses more dignity and respect into the role. So while I know it's a weird way to look at things, I like mixologists precisely because it indicates that someone is invested enough in their work to ask tough questions and get their hands dirty with the details. I think these are the people we need leading positive change in the hospitality industry, and if mixologist happens to be a little indicator of that passion and that seriousness, I'm all for it. My private case for liking the word mixologist, unfortunately, isn't nearly as noble. I like it because it's like that one friend in your extended friend group who always makes things interesting. Maybe not always the good kind of interesting, but reliably and sometimes hilariously interesting. The mixologist rarely plays it safe. They're the ones trying to bottle the lightning, the ones brave enough to ask, what if we added Fernet to this? They'll see your bet and raise you a bottle of chartreuse, and then they'll run behind the bar and shake you up a Ramos gin fizz with a full three inches of foam above the rim of the glass. Will you still run into the quote-unquote mixologists who maybe should have spent more time learning the basics before painting the town purple with butterfly pea powder or black with activated charcoal? Oh, for sure. I can't browse Instagram or YouTube for five minutes without running into one of these jokers. But in the end, I will always be more interested in people who are brave enough to risk being the failed alchemist or the magician who uses the wrong spell than I am in the folks who are content to play it safe. To me, this is precisely the allure of cocktails and other such typicular fixings. They push the envelope. And if I can get more envelope pushing by hanging out with mixologists, then that's where I'll be. So, Next time you hear someone self-identify as a mixologist, even if you don't think they have the skills or the experience to justify such a lofty-sounding title, I hope that, like me, you can at least give them a little bit of love for owning both the seriousness and the risk involved in putting the odds and ends of fire water together. Maybe that person will serve you a drink that makes you yearn for a glass of wine or a humble pint of Guinness, but personally... I'll take that risk of promiscuity, fraternization, and confusion over the certainty of a boring drink any day of the week. I'm Modern Barcart CEO Eric Koslick. Please consider swinging over to our website and taking our 2022 listener survey. Please also join us at 2 p.m. on January 7th for our live stream with Derek Brown of the Columbia Room to talk about his new book, Mindful Mixology, and... Next time you hear someone throw around that term mixologist, maybe try not to roll your eyes. Cheers. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, there's two big things you can do for us here at Modern Bar Cart. One would be to tell your friends and family if you think they'd enjoy listening to us talk about cocktails. And if they don't download podcasts, they can always stream our episodes on their desktop directly from the show notes page at modernbarcart.com. The other thing you can do to help would be to head on over to iTunes or wherever you download your podcasts and leave us a review. Five stars are great, but we're more interested in your feedback. 
And the beauty is, the more reviews we have, the easier it will be for other folks out there to learn about our show. We're trying to start a cocktail revolution here, and by spreading the word, you're helping us fight the good fight. You can always reach us by emailing podcast at modernbarcart.com if you're looking for cocktail or bartending advice, or if you're a pro who would like to pull up a mic and be interviewed for all to hear. Also, definitely follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Modern Bar Cart for cocktail porn, recipes, and entertaining tips. And keep an eye out for new product releases and special offers, which are happening all the time. We love our listeners, and we really enjoy giving you exclusive discounts and sneak peeks at our latest and greatest cocktail projects. This episode may be over, but for you, the mixological fun and adventures are just beginning. So remember, folks, drink responsibly and experiment boldly. This episode was made possible with editing and sound design by Samantha Reed and a little bit of Reddit browsing, word-defining magic by yours truly. This has been a Modern Bar Cart production, copyright 2022.